First Peter. We've been looking at this book for a while now. Today we come to First Peter chapter 3 and we'll read from verse 1. It's a great start. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the beauty and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Thank God for his word. We're just going to come. Let's pray. Father, we want to pray that as we come to your word now and living as we do in a very different time and culture, that you'll help us to understand that word, to uncover the principles that lie at the core of that word, and then to apply them to our lives in ways that help us to reflect your glory. And Father, we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the, the subject that we're looking at now in, <clears throat> in First Peter I would usually file this mentally, if not literally, in what I call the old boy category. That is, oh boy, do I have to preach on this again, because we looked at it a few months ago when we were looking at Ephesians. We'll come back to Ephesians later, but it's a different story. But I mean, Warren Wearsby, in his uh, devotional chapter on First Peter, he had the chapter on these verses, wedlock or deadlock. Well, the word that by association immediately jumped into my mind was headlock, because this is the kind of passage that God really does have to almost put a kind of spiritual headlock on you before you preach it, because it is such a sensitive subject. Why, well, a passage that <coughs> contains verses similar to, to what we find here, Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, was read recently during a service that was broadcast on an equivalent to our Songs of Praise in Flanders, an area of Belgium. And following this, this led to their media minister, Sven Gatz, calling because of this for a public ban on religious broadcasting. And what he objected to particularly <coughs> was this call for wives to be submissive to their husbands, which he saw and interpreted as an attack on women. Now, the local Bible society rightly pointed out that what Paul is teaching here has to be properly understood and certainly has to be set in the context of the verse just before this passage, Ephesians 5, 21. Accept each other's authority 
out of respect for Christ. But nevertheless, what this illustrates is how passages such as we're looking at now in First Peter are misunderstood. And so, because of this, make preaching on something like this just fraught with difficulties. Because, quite simply, people filter the teaching of the Bible through bad experience, perhaps, through the attitudes of today's society and today's culture. And so then they find the, the teaching of the Bible difficult to grab hold of. And the way they, they deal with that is they either ignore what the Bible says, you know, the kind of thing, what's being said here isn't really relevant to life today. This was for a primitive time, a primitive culture. This was for people then, but it's not relevant for life in sort of sophisticated, advanced 21st century society. Or alternatively, they try to dilute it. You know, it doesn't really say what it seems to say. Now, what Peter really meant was, and there are all sorts of alternatives. Why, though, is this passage so difficult? Well, because it takes the general principle of submission to authority that we looked at last week and then applies it to the marriage relationship with the, the main focus here being the wives of unbelieving husbands. But the fact that in verse 7, Christian husbands are addressed there, I think, gives grounds for a, a wider application of the basic teaching that's given. So what we're looking at here then is how the principle of submission to authority, to leadership, how this principle should then be worked out in the context of marriage by a believer. But let's acknowledge, before we just begin to unpack this, that this is to an extent understandable, that this teaching is hard to hear. It is. In the context of a history where men, and even Christian men, have sometimes used passages, used biblical teachings such as this, to attempt to justify bullying and even the outright abuse of their wives. And certainly this teaching is hard to hear in the context of our society today, where there's a, a reaction to this kind of abuse by some men, we've seen the upsurge of an at times militant feminism. Now, now let me say to you, I think some feminism is a justifiable reaction and it is setting some wrongs right. But it does have its excesses. But you see, if you put all of this together, it makes it difficult for Christians, Christian women, to really hear and accept the plain teaching, I believe, of the Bible here. So as we move into the heart of what this passages teaches, I'll just ask me, God help us to put to the one side, or to try to put to the one side, all our prejudices, all our bad experiences, and our natural inclination to try to make God and enable God's word to say to us what needs to be said, that we'll hear the timeless message of the word of God, and that whatever it might cost us, whatever it might demand of us, whatever change it might require of us, that we'll be ready to bow the knee before anything else in submission and obedience to the word of God 
and to the God of his word. So let's begin. Let's look at what this passage, first of all, says to Christian wives. Looking first at the principle, the principle of submission that's outlined here. And the first thing I I think we have to say is that the submission that's spoken of here, that's required here, is similar to, but not identical with, the submission of a slave to a master, an employee, employee to an employer that's referred to in the verses just prior to this. Now that's made clear by the Greek word that in verse 1 is translated in the same way. The same way. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. Because you see, Peter uses a, a pretty weak word here that I believe he chooses because it's designed to get across this idea of being similar without being identical. So then, the relationship between a husband and wife is not precisely the same as that between a slave and a master. And I'm sure all you ladies will be delighted to hear that. But of course it's not. Of course it's not. Nothing like it. Because the marriage relationship is designed by God, intended by God, to be a loving partnership. In that way then, it's not the same as that usual slave-master relationship. It's not anything like it. It's a partnership of two people who are equals in God's sight, in terms of value. However, the similarity comes in, in that there is expected by God to be an acknowledgement of a degree of submission from the wife to the husband within the marriage relationship. Now, I want to say within each individual marriage as a a husband and wife couple share and discuss and seek advice and hopefully give and take. Well, so then, how this principle will then express itself will, will be different, very different between couples because each marriage is about different people. It's about different personalities and different combinations of personalities. So in in one marriage, maybe a wife, just by personality, will be very happy just to take a back seat, very happy just to let her husband take the lead, take the responsibility as they might see it. Maybe, though, in another marriage, it's much more a relationship between two leaders. And both have got ideas, both have got opinions, and both vie to get their point of view across, maybe to, to get their opinion heard and respected. Now, you see, in a healthy marriage, where a husband is a secure human being and, and is spiritually mature, I believe, and we'll talk a bit more about that, that later, but a husband like that will be ready to listen to his wife, to admit where he's wrong and where his wife is right, which is usually pretty frequently, and ready to acknowledge the different areas of expertise they've got. However, in a marriage, I believe, that is as God intends, well, there has to be an underlying acknowledgement and degree of submission from a wife to a husband. And we're not talking here about kind of giving in grudgingly after a period of deadlocks. We think we've got to. No, what we're talking about is far from this. It's about an attitude of heart and mind and spirit where a husband's leadership is acknowledged. Now, do you see practically what I'm, I'm trying to say here? A marriage is not what God would have it be 
where a wife resents her husband but grudgingly gives in, maybe on the odd occasion. We can try and fool ourselves here, but let me tell you, this is not what the Bible means by submission within marriage. On the other hand, you can have a marriage where there's lots of debate. That's a nice word for it. Lots of discussion where the wife will share her point of view and will argue her case and rightly, but where there's always that underlying sense that she's ready, you know, to acknowledge her husband's leadership. Now, to the casual onlooker, that might not seem to be the case, but that, to me, I believe, is an example of a healthy marriage. But maybe you're sitting there this morning as a woman, and don't worry, by the way, I'll be getting to the men later. But, but you're there and you're thinking, you know, why is this so? Why is this so? Isn't this degrading? Isn't this a case of devaluing women? Isn't this a kind of random act of unfairness by a God who otherwise seems to be meticulously fair and just? Well, I don't believe that is the case. No, the Bible never says at any point that God values women less than men. They are absolute equals before God in terms of their spiritual worth, in terms of their essential worth as persons. There is an absolute, for me, fundamental equality between men and women. But what the Bible does say is that women, wives, have a different function a different role to play within the family. So that the order and the structure that is a part of the very nature of God, part of his being that's seen all around us in his creation, in order that that might be maintained within the family. You see, what we're saying is that if things are to be achieved within a family and within a marriage, if there's going to be progress and direction, then there has to be leadership. And of course, we know that, that women are leaders. Many of them are, are fine leaders. I mean, look at our country today, Nicola Sturgeon and Theresa May. What could you ask for? And of course, in a healthy marriage, as we've already said, the wife's opinion will be sought and heard. And if you're experiencing anything like mine, it will frequently be given way to and just because, quite simply, the wife's view is the right one. It's hard to say, but it's true. However, if there's to be order, if there's to be structure, as God intends it within marriage and the family, then a husband must have, if it needs to be, a final defining leadership role. An interesting point that I think maybe gets across just what I'm trying to say here is the Greek word that's translated here, submission, was actually originally a military term. And it's a term that means to place under rank. So you see, a private soldier may well be a better person than a general. But for an army to function properly, there has to be privates and there has to be generals and those under the authority of a leader have to be willing, where necessary, to acknowledge that authority. And of course, Jesus 
was the living embodiment of all of this. Because he, though God in the flesh, put himself under the authority of God the Father, even for a period under the authority of his human parents, in order that he might fulfill his role, that he might fulfill his purpose on our, in our lives. But let's move on from looking at the particular principle, if you like, the general principle, shall I say, of submission. Let's move on to look at the purpose, at the particular purpose that Peter believes that this might lead to here and see fulfilled. And that is the salvation of unconverted husbands. Verse 1 it says, So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Now, here, let's just be honest, you know, submission and obedience aren't easy for any of us. They're not. And yet, here, God calls Christian wives to be obedient, but not just to Christian husbands, who at times can maybe be pretty immature spiritually and otherwise, and who can perhaps make unreasonable demands, and who in the sinful nature are not beyond the odd bit of bullying. Well, I mean, the, the example that's used here is an interesting one. Sarah, I mean, she was the wife of a believing man. Of course she was. The famous Abraham, the father, one of the fathers of the faith. And, and she was, she was submissive to him in all situations. Totally, I mean, I would say that she, she went beyond what God's word would actually demand of a wife. For the biblical principle, I would say, is that we should be obedient to human authority, but only up to that point where obedience to that authority would lead you into disobedience against God, would lead you into sin. But you see, Sarah, she took her submission to her husband Abraham to the point where she pretended to be his sister and then was taken into the harem of a pagan king. And you can read about that in Genesis 20. But that was a believing husband who made that kind of demand of Sarah. Whether or not she should have obeyed him, that's a different point. I don't think she should, but anyway. And yet here, God asks that Christian wives should be subject, not just to Christian husbands, but to their unbelieving husbands. That is to men who don't have the restrictions of faith, who don't have in their life the guidance of God, of his word, and of his spirit. And of course, we know that some unbelieving husbands and men are, are very considerate and are very caring. But you know, that's by no means always the case. And yet still here, God asks this of Christian wives. However, as we see, as we realize the purpose of this, that not just by this, by their obedience that they might preserve structure in their marriages and families and society, no, but also that by this unnatural, this spiritual behavior, that so through this, these husbands might be seen to see the truth of the word and the, of the gospel of Christ, realizing as they see their wives that these women could not live like this, saved by the power of God. Well then, is not submission, set in that bigger context, a price that wor that's worth paying? Is it not a worthy love offering to our God? Now, they used to always say in sermons that it's always good to have three sweet peas, so I've got a third one for Christian wives, and that is 
the priority. And the priority for, for Christian wives, Christian women, always has to be inner beauty. Beauty of the heart, beauty of the spirit, rather than primarily a beauty that's about externals, it's about appearance. As it says here, it says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewellery and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, this isn't saying, I don't believe, as maybe some would try to argue, that Christian women shouldn't wear jewellery and makeup, etc. Basically, they shouldn't care about their appearance. I don't believe that that's what this is saying. Now, what's that? What this is saying is that these things shouldn't be their first priority. That these things shouldn't be the focus of their lives and what they see as the source of their beauty. Rather, their spirit, their heart, should be the priority. It's this that they should give most attention to. And the attitude, I believe, that's shown or asked here regarding this principle of, of submission is really a good indicator, a good measure of what's actually going on within. Because if we've got the kind of gentle and quiet spirit that comes, is born out of a close walk with God, then that's going to show itself just at this point where submission is demanded. And if we haven't, then that too will show. That will show when demands out of the ordinary are made of us. Now, I think I've given the ladies enough attention. I'm going to turn now to the men, to their husbands, to their, and I'm going to say not quite as much to them, and that's because not as much is said in this passage. But, you know, I don't believe that's because any less is asked of them. But rather, you know, I think it's because as Christian husbands, men have got the easier task. And it pains me to admit it, but it's true. Because even when a Christian man is married to a non-Christian woman, I think it's usually a whole lot easier most of the time than if things are the other way around. Men have got it easier. Some men, anyway. But... I just want to centre in on two main demands here that I believe Peter emphasises are made of Christian husbands. The first is understanding. Understanding. Now, actually, the word that's used in the NIV is, is consideration. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. But I don't think that's an adequate translation of the, the original Greek word in the text. Because that word, consideration, concentrates too much simply on attitude. And that's too superficial. What's meant more here is a, is a deep understanding, a knowledge that then informs and helps to fashion and to form attitudes. It's about seeking to understand our wives. And things like the fact that they've got different ways of thinking and feeling to the way that, that men do. And that instead of just reacting against something because it's different, that what men need to learn to do is to appreciate, to learn from, 
different and often invaluable insights that we are often simply blind to. As well as this, as men, we need to learn to appreciate the different desires and goals and hopes and expectations and aspirations that, that often women have. You see, men are often too ambitious. We're too blinded by ambition. We've got that focus. We want to get there. We want to do that, achieve this. And then we think if we just get this sorted out in our life, then we'll be happy. Women usually are much more concerned about things like relationships. They're more concerned about family, more concerned about quality rather than quantity. And you know, women are right. We need that balance that the lady brings. These insights again are invaluable. And if as men we go through life saying, you know, I'm a man, I'm in charge, and refuse to listen and learn, well, then we'll be the much poorer. And so will our families as well. We'll miss out on so much. Also, we have to be open, I think, to grow in our understanding of just what God's desire, God's purposes actually are for marriage. In, in the very fullest sense. For I tell you, one of the, the most annoying things that, that I hear is when you hear Christian men concentrating only on what they see as their wives' responsibilities within marriage. You know, carrying on the kind of mindless, twisted, spiritual bullying, telling women you have to do this, you have to obey me, etc. That's got a lot to do with that rise of that militant, atheistic feminism. But if these men, men who try to find the teaching that justifies their behaviour in places like 1 Peter and Ephesians 5, if only they read what else it says in these passages, they could never do it. Like Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. In other words, husbands, die to yourself for the sake of your wife. Sacrifice yourself. Sacrifice your interests and your agenda. For the sake of your, your wife. You see, if only these men took first, as they should, their own responsibility seriously, then I think if they did that, they would soon see their wives fulfilling their responsibilities and they'd have a far happier marriage. The second thing that I believe is demanded of a Christian husband toward their wife is honour. And again, I think the NIV fails a little bit here because it talks of respect but you see that again is just too weak it doesn't do justice to what Peter originally wrote the strength of what he wrote it's much better to replace that with honour treat them with honour as the weaker partner now at the, at the very basic level what I believe this means this, this kind of combination between honour and, and the weaker partner what it means is, husbands, don't use your physical presence. Don't use the fact that perhaps you're bigger and stronger and louder. Don't use this as a means to browbeat and intimidate your partner. Instead, as you should, use this to care for them and protect them. But much more, what I believe this means 
is husbands, recognize your wife's femininity. Recognize that she in all probability, not always but very often, is more emotionally sensitive. Recognize this. And what this also means is, is that women should be treated with care. As someone precious, a gift that's given. So husbands, don't continually criticize and condemn. Don't be harsh, but be careful how you use words because your wife may well be more easily hurt. She may well be wounded by things that maybe wouldn't even register with you because men are sometimes a bit like the rhinoceros, you know. It just doesn't get through. So take care in what you say because your wife is a precious gift given to you by God who should be treated with honour, with honour. Well, I've had two demands. Let's just finish with one single word of warning from the Lord. And it's actually there again in verse 7. Treat them with respect, with honour, as the weaker partner and heirs with you as the equality of the gracious gift of God so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, the obvious meaning of that, though it's not one that I think too often is acknowledged is that as sin in general interrupts our fellowship with God for example Psalm 66 18 tells us that if I had cherished sin in my heart the Lord would not have listened if we cherish sin God doesn't hear when we speak well so the Lord then tells us here through his word that so concerned is he that Christian husbands behave in a God-honoring way towards their wives, in the way he would have them behave. That he will not listen. He will not answer their prayers until they do. I don't know. For some of us, could this be the answer, a part of the answer as to why we feel we're going nowhere and doing nothing? spiritually could something like this be the sin blockage this may be holding back the work of the grace of God in our lives I want to say it again marriage is a precious gift given by God it's meant to be a source of strength it's meant to be a safe place in a demanding world it's meant to be a relationship that together helps us together to live life as it's meant to be so let's make sure that we all fulfill our responsibilities before God, that it might be that for us. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word. And Lord, we know that sometimes it teaches things that, that run against the culture and attitudes of our day. And that when that happens, it's easy for us to try and avoid what your word's saying. It's easy for us to try and dilute it. But Lord, help us to seek to understand it, to get the principles and then to seek to apply them to where we are, to the life we live, that in our culture we might stand as witnesses for you, that we might live that different life that marks us out as belonging to you. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.